welcome to the Reinvest Podcast, a podcast that is based on building confidence for you to manage your personal finances and the ministry finances that you've been entrusted with. Thank you. It's great to be here. I knew that uh, title would get you here, right? Everybody wants to hit, raise your hand if you want to stay out of jail. Everybody. Hey, it's great to, uh, to be here. I love ministry, don't you? I mean, I just, I, I love, love, love ministry, even weeks like this, and three, three deaths this week, you know, a funeral this afternoon, all that stuff, you know, you know, you know what I'm talking about. It's just overwhelming at times, and just so fulfilling. It's draining and energizing at the same time. Uh, it's all of those things, and that's why we do it, right? I mean, we want to make a difference in this world, and not only in this world, for eternity, too. When I grew up in Tupelo, Mississippi, and my, uh, really, one of my best friends in high school was my youth pastor, and he just really poured into our youth group and just really had a discipleship emphasis in our youth group for, for those years, which I loved, and not really knowing. He didn't put a discipleship sticker on it. He just discipled us like crazy. And uh, we had a group of, our group would meet every Tuesday night for discipleship group, even though we didn't call it discipleship group. And when I was about 15, 16 years old, I just felt this, this wave of emotions coming over me and God convicting me about stuff and, and uh, God convicted me about all kinds of stuff. And he really helped me walk through what that looked like and, um, and come to find out that, you know, I really felt like God was calling me into ministry also. I had no idea what that looked like at that time. You know, this was 1980. Had no idea what that looked like at that time, but I just remember, you know, how you look back on something and you have a clarifying thought about something that you were trying to express to yourself at that time, and then later you clarify it in your mind. And now I realized I went into ministry because I wanted to do for other people what he did for me. That's really all it was. If I could... I haven't thought about that in a while. Um, but if I can make a difference in somebody else's life the way he made it in my life, um, man, sign me up. Having no idea what that meant, having no idea, you know, what that meant. So a lot of years later and different churches later, you know, that's, what we, that's why we're here, right? That's why we're doing. Why did you go into ministry? Maybe that's something you've not thought about for a while. And sometimes when it gets really, really hard, and you might be in the middle of really, really hard right now, you know, you have to think back to those times like, that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Like, it's frustrating the fire out of me right now, but this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. So we, we want to make a difference in this world and the next, and we want to make those disciples. We want to make a difference in young boys' lives who are idiots, you know, and we want to make, we want to make a, a difference in, in people's lives. And then we wake up one day, and we're deep into ministry, and we're wanting to set up discipleship, and we're wanting to set up fantastic worship services that are engaging, and, and, and small groups that are reaching people as well as discipling people. And then we look at our schedule, and there's a uh, codes board meeting at the city hall, because we've got a little annex that we're putting on, and a little thing that we want to do there, and then... There's a finance committee meeting that we've got to go to and attend because they're asking questions about some of our accounts. And uh, we've got a, a, a search process in place because we're trying to look to hire a staff member at some point 
in the future, and we're trying to line up the money and the person and the search and trying to run all of that, and so trying to get all of those things together, and we, we wake up at the end of our day sometimes realizing, oh, man, is this what ministry is? Like, seriously, codes meetings and insurance adjusters and, and audits and, and all these kind of things? Is that what, is that what it really is? This, is? this is not what I signed up for. You know, like, you ever felt that way? Yeah. Well, that is ministry. You know, that is, sadly, a lot of what ministry is. And depending on your situation and your position, your position at the church or whatever you're doing at the church, at different times, that weight of all of that, call it administrative, call it office, call it whatever you want to call it, the weight of that can just really bear down on you. And if you don't watch it, it's going to eat your lunch. Like, and you're like, this is not what I signed up for. I don't want to do this anymore. Realizing it's really the weight of the administration that's weighing you down more than the weight of ministry. Paul saying, I carry around daily the concern that I have. You know, you know what that is. You guys are carrying that this morning for some people. So you, you have to be careful that you don't allow the weight of the administrative side of it just to eat your lunch, to take away the joy of what ministry really is, you know. And so I just want to cover just a few things with you this morning. Just put that title on there. But there are a few things that I think uh, pastors, leaders need to be aware of, churches need to be aware of, that if they don't watch it, they can get into quicksand really, really quick. Uh, and, and they're going to get into trouble in areas that they don't have to get into trouble in. Like, we don't have to get there because we can be aware of, of a few things that are going on. And so I just want to cover just a, a few things with you this morning. Talk about why we get into ministry. Before I say anything, before I get into the six reasons, uh, I, I want to point you to this resource right here, Church Law and Tax. If you, if you are not aware of this resource, you need to be aware of this resource. It is the best resource available anywhere with anything to do with uh, finances, uh, HR, budgeting, uh, church screen, uh, church children's ministry screening, anything legal that you want to talk about, as well as taxes, the way you do your budgets. I mean, there is so much good resources, so many good resources on, on this site. Um, and you can sign up for their newsletters and get their reports. And they do a fantastic job of keeping you super, super current about the things that are happening right now in the courts, in the laws, all these kind of things. We're going to talk about one of them first thing. I mean, they just do a really, really good job of this. So I would get familiar with it if I were you. I would make sure you're, if you got anybody in administration, uh, if you have finance committee, stewardship team, whatever you call those guys, they need to be very familiar with these resources. One of the biggest questions that, that I, I will get, even though I'm not executive pastor anymore, one of the biggest questions I'll get is, how do you determine salaries? How do you, what's a, what's a fair way to determine salaries, you know, for your staff? Um, we started doing this about five years ago, about five, six years ago, when we were just, the deacons were just saying, hey, let's just give a raise. Hey, let's just give a raise. Hey, let's just give a raise with just kind of not knowing where are we in line with what other people are paying. And so we did a, just a, we thought we was going to have to, can we talk to 10 or 15 different churches to find out what they're paying? They've already done it for you. Like they've got a salary survey based on where you live, how big your church is, how big your budget is, 
how, what's, your, what's Noah's education level, how long has he been at the church. It's got about 10 different uh, uh, factors that you factor into what, what an appropriate salary is for a, for a minister. And it is fantastic. It really is. So that resource is available there. But number one, how to, how to stay out of jail. Uh, by improperly, uh, you're going to be put in jail if you improperly classify and pay employees, especially exempt and non-exempt employees. We're diving into the deep end right, Chris, right off the bat. I know it sounds really, really boring. This is important to realize right now uh, because of this right here. January 1, 2020, a new regulation kicks in uh, that is basically saying you have to have a really good handle on uh, how you're classifying your employees. They've been talking about this for several years. This goes back to about 2016 or so. Um, this, and, it, and this actually, they finally get, uh, decided on the final guidelines for this. And so basically what this means, just to, in, in summary, what this means is you have some employees you're going to pay um, by the hour. You have some employees you're going to pay salary. Uh, those you're paying salary, you're not going to pay for overtime. It's just part of being paid a salary. You may work 80 hours one week and you may work 40 hours the next week. That's just part of paying a salary. And what they wanted to make and ensure is that uh, businesses, whoever, churches, whoever, weren't taking advantage of those people that they were, uh, that, that they were paying salary to and saying you, they really should be uh, uh, hourly workers. So there's three different tests. All of this is on the site, okay? Three different tests that you run through. Do you get paid a salary? How much is your salary? And what are your responsibilities in your job? And if you have oversight responsibilities, and executive oversight responsibilities, uh, then you should be paid a salary. If you don't have executive oversight uh, responsibilities, say, say, uh, say Jacob's secretary or administrative assistant is, is working a lot of hours, does she have oversight or is she just doing what you tell her to do? So you have to run it through a test and that wage that they have to be paid is $679, about $35,000 a year. So what we had to do a couple of years ago in anticipating this is we had someone that was in charge of our finances, um, the, the accounts receivable, payables, those kind of things, and she was being paid below that amount and, and she, she had oversight. She passed all three of those tests. She was being paid below that amount. We had to bump her salary up above that amount. So that's the impact it's going to have on you is by determining who your salary, who's being paid, how much and what the responsibilities are and how much are you paying them, you may have to bump a salary. The bad news is this. Clergy and religious workers are occupations exempt from these overtime laws. And so you are not going to qualify, even if you are making below $35,000, you're not, as a pastor and minister, you're not going to qualify for this. You're exempt from these guidelines. Does that make sense? And so... Uh, again, it's $35,568 a year. You just need to investigate this more, okay? So I'm not going to tell you everything that you need to know about all of these things. I'm just saying this is something that everybody's going to be talking about right now. It kicks in in January. You need to know. And, uh, and all the way across the board on every one of these things, get advice and get counsel. Get advice and get counsel. You should have somebody that's just on your speed dial, <laughs> that he's the guy, he's the lady, she's the lady you turn to for questions like this. You need to have somebody like that 
in your church, in your city, and you know, just somebody that you can turn to uh, like that. And these guys, Church Law and Tax, they'll respond to questions like that. But if you go on their site, you're going to probably find the answer to your question uh, just by searching for something. Any questions about that real quick? This does not apply to volunteers. That, that gets out of the legal questions, gets into ministry questions for you of saying, okay, when do we hire? That gets to a when do we hire question. And, and just saying, if we have a volunteer that is working too many hours, can we move to part-time? We have a part-time that's working too many hours. She's really full-time work for part-time pay. Do we need to go to full-time? I mean, those are the type of questions I think that we're asking about the volunteers. Good question. Anybody else? Any questions about that? Again, find out, find out what you need to find out because I realize we're talking to leaders who have, you know, just a, uh, one or two on staff and some churches that have multiple, multiple staff members. So you need to find out about those things, okay? Second thing is legal employment practices, hiring and dismissal processes. So when we're talking about hiring staff, hiring volunteers, or hiring anybody that we're paying to do anything in the church, we need to make sure that we have legal hiring practices as well as firing practices or dismissal practices. And the church is going to fall under some of the federal guidelines that if we don't watch it, we're not realizing that we're falling under these federal guidelines, okay? But the, the hard part about this one is for each of these different federal guidelines, and you can read them for yourself, um, 50, uh, wait, go back. 15 employees, 15 employees, 15 employees, uh, 20 employees, 15 employees, 50 or more employees. And so the different guidelines have different uh, benchmarks that they're asking for the churches to meet before they start qualifying for these different things. Obviously, we, want, we don't want to be discriminating based on sex, race, color, national origin, right? We, even if we don't have 15 employees, more employees, we don't want to be... Uh, discriminating in that way in any shape, form, or, I mean, any shape or form, right? Uh, we, in, in your hiring practices as well as in your dismissal practices, we just want to lead with integrity. We want to we do what's right, even if it's not legally required of us to do what's right. We want to do what's right, right? Uh, so we, we want to make sure that we're watching ourselves in those cases. The church is exempt as you see there, is exempt from the ban on religious discrimination. Even if you have 15 or more employees, the church can say, we can require our employees to be a Christian. And so we, we, we can discriminate based on that, and it's a bona fide occupational qualification. It, 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 it's right for us to be able to discriminate based on that. And so we have a little bit of cover uh, about that. Now, I know one of the questions might be, uh, same-sex, transgender, all, all of those issues that your church has to really work through to figure out what that looks like for your church, how open your church is in employing someone who is in those uh, spaces uh, and, and just knowing, you know, and just knowing, you know, what is your church going to be accepting, what is your church not going to be accepting? Uh, that space is going to become a much, much bigger point of discussion in the next few years. You know that. I mean, I don't have to tell you guys that. that that's going to be a big, big space in the next few years for churches and ministries and hiring 
and dismissal practices. It really is. And this, this, uh, this right here, I think, is a great example of something that we get into without realizing we've gotten into it. And we're like, oh, I didn't know that. No excuse. Not an excuse. Because you didn't know it. Uh, you stand, just imagine standing before the judge. I didn't know. I didn't, well, I don't care if you knew or not. Um, and so, just, just remembering that. Okay, any questions about that? Um, all right. Here's a big one. Uh, this uh, former children's pastor, so this is a big one for me. Uh, for not properly screening and monitoring any children's or student ministry volunteer. If you do not have a, a, a screening, a background screening, and a monitoring process in place, procedures and policies for your, for your church and your children's ministry, uh, you need to go to your room right now <laughs> and start writing it down. I mean, it is that serious. I think all of you do, more than like you do, but I'm just, I just want to stress to you how important this is. This is just so important. Because what's going to happen is a pedophile is going to be in your community, and you have pedophiles living around you in your community. A pedophile is going to be in your community, and he's going to go to churches who have kids, Okay? And he's going to go and, and pop into churches that advertise their children's ministry and advertise great children's ministry events, family events, right? That's the kind of environment they want to be around. And when they come to your church and different churches, they're going to try to fill out and see which church has a proper screening process in place. And if he goes to five churches and your church is the one church that does not have the proper screening in place, He's going to hunker down at your church. And then you know what we do, right? We get desperate. Man, can anybody teach first grade? I can teach first grade. I love kids. I have a long history with kids. Oh, great, good. Man, you, you obviously, you do have a love, you do love kids. And we just give them the curriculum and put them in the classroom. Or worse, Again, when you're talking about abuse and abuse situations, you're, you're thinking of time and place. You can kind of be rated on a scale between, of time and place. And when you're talking about time and place, you're talking about Sunday morning at church, so much going on, people everywhere. The likelihood of abuse is fairly small in that setting because there's just so many people around. But other settings, a Wednesday night, a WANA, not as many people around, a lot more interaction with the kids, a, a, a day camp setting, a lot of time with the kids, or the, this other end of the spectrum, a summer camp setting, sleeping in bunks with the kids, being in the shower house with the kids, all of these things going on. That's where the risk just increases dramatically, in, incredibly. And the weird part about that is when we're going to be diligent about one end of this thing or the other, we're going to be really, really diligent about screening our Sunday school workers, and, and we're going to be real desperate about finding somebody that can take off for a week to go to camp, right? And, and, the, and the good part is, hey, let me encourage you in this, okay? The good part is just the practice of screening means he comes to your church. Hey, anybody can help? Yeah, I can help. Hey, here's our application form that we want you to fill out. Boom, he's gone. Like, no, never mind. I'll find the next one that doesn't have one. I mean, just, just the pure act of screening 
is going to, to, is going to deter predators. It's going to de demonstrate that your ministry has taken responsible care to safeguard its members. It sends a message to your members and everybody in your church. We take this very seriously, very seriously, not just children's ministry, student ministry also. And we're going to take this very seriously. And it also, I mean, obviously reduces your liability in court also. Now, because you screen and because you monitor, does that mean nothing ever happens? No, it doesn't ensure that nothing ever happens. But when you go to court, worst case scenario, you do go to court and you're standing before the judge. What did you do? Here's our application process. Who did you do your screening background check through? Here's the company that we did the screening background check through. What was your monitoring process? Which means after you put them into the classroom, no closed doors. If there are closed doors, there's little windows in the doors. They never take a child to the restroom. You know, you're going you're gonna to walk them to the restroom, and they're going to stand at the door like this, stand at the doorway, and just yell at them. <laughs> uh, that's just the proper, you know, that's the monitoring process that you have in place. And so all these little processes like this are available to you to get in place and say, here's the way that we do it. And in your training of children's workers, our students' workers, you walk them through this training. You say, man, we really want you to know how to, how to put the Bible in kids' hearts. We really want you to know good teaching techniques. We really want you to know how to connect the heart of God to the heart of a child. We want you to know all of these things. But this is really important. <laughs> this is really, really important for you to get this part right here. And, and we, we're, we're going to get this right. As a matter of fact, we take it so seriously. Like, if you don't get this part right, but you're an absolutely fantastic teacher, we can't allow you to teach anymore. I mean, that's how serious we're going to take it. I mean, it's that serious. Uh, and so, and, and you, the leader, determines how serious the church is going to take it. Nobody else. You determine it. I was aware of a, of a church uh, that, had a, that had a side entrance that some of the uh, children's workers would come in through the side entrance. It wasn't an entrance that was supposed to be used as a side entrance. And children's work, some of the teachers would come in that side entrance. Well, it'd just it'd be easy to, hey, I want to come in. I'm going to prop it open. I'm going to go out to my car, get some stuff, you know, that kind of thing. And, uh, and, and it just kept, became a problem. Like, you cannot do that. Like, you cannot do that. You know, as the leader's like, you cannot do that. You cannot do that. And that children's leader at that particular church just allowed it to continue to go on and just say, yeah, we're literally giving them a side entrance into the entire building. Letting somebody walk in here. And so, again, I could go on for a while for that. Sorry. Any questions about that? Thomas. That's a great question because I'm, I'm a real big believer that that's teenagers who have a heart for ministry need to be given a, a place in ministry. They really do. But they can't be giving the, the, the complete supervision over kids. They have to be under adult supervision also, or very close monitoring in that way. I mean, you just, the, the parents aren't going to like, I mean, it sends a message to the parents of the kids that are being dropped off when you have a 15-year-old, like, in charge of a class. But she, should, she could be a fantastic, wonderful 15-year-old, but still, I mean, there, there has to be that. So... I love kids being, I love teenagers being in children's classes, but having an adult there, because then if anything ever comes up, it's not a 15-year-old's word, it's an adult's word, like, no, this is, what, this is what I saw. 
we, we had an accusation of this a few years ago of, of abuse. We've only had about two or three, um, an accusation of abuse, and it was to a, a teenager that was working in a class, and the preschool classroom has a little preschool um, toilet in there, little squatty potties. Um, and, and so and somebody accused her of taking a child into that little bathroom and, and abusing like this particular kid, uh, teenager, I mean, you could have lined up every one of our teenagers and like choose who you think would not do this and she would have been first. Like that was like absolutely not. But the thing that was helpful was the adult in the room said, no, she was never in that bathroom by herself with that child. She was never in there with her. And so it was just, you know, the, the testimony of two people, you know. And so that's just really, really helpful to, to have adult supervision in there with them. Good question. Mm-hmm. Whether it's administrative or ministry. That's right. Is there any place that you can go to and get some sort of like a sample yep. um, policy and then you can kind of modify it to, to specifically fit your needs? That's a great question. Write this down. Church law and tax. <laughs> <laughs> they, have, they have the template like literally... Find and replace, find and replace, find and replace. I mean, they have the template already made. This is already made for you. That's why I say that is such an amazing resource. They have the template made for you. They have your training materials that go along with that for you. They have the, the video curriculum. I mean, they have it all in there. That Everything is there, I'm telling you. And so, yeah, great, great question. Yeah, it, it does, I don't want any of this to seem overwhelming because we can't be ministry experts, plus legal experts, plus accounting experts, plus, you know, all of this, you know, police experts. We can't be all of those experts. We have to, we have to specialize in our field, and then we're going to find the experts, right, for when those people are there. Yes? Is that a You can do it a lot of different ways. Like, what, that, that resource that I'm talking about, you just buy the notebook. That's going to come with the CD that you download all the forms off of. You buy the videos, and you got, got that kind of thing. And they do have some subscriptions on there that are just... We're going to send you monthly newsletters of the most current changes that are being made, you know, that kind of thing. So uh, all kinds of good stuff on there. I don't work for them, by the way. I'm just <laughs> paid endorsement. So Elizabeth? It really is. Thank you. That paper trail of them, I mean, if, if something comes up and for you to be able to pull out a file that has or, or pull up on your computer, here's her background check. Here's where we checked, here's when it came back clean, here's the proper monitoring process, and here's our policy that we have in place that we really, and here's how we stress it in the training, and here's how we mention it yearly in our training, and here's how we, how, how we enforce the policy. It's just huge. It really is. Huh? That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. It's a great question. Um, if somebody calls you today, if a leader calls you today and says, hey, we need to talk, somebody has, has called about this, I would get out your phone and start taking notes. Like, he called me at 9.06 on Saturday. He told me this, and just start documenting exactly everything that happened and what you did when 
And here's the steps that we took. Here's when we caught our attorney. Here's when we got the family together. Here's when we talked to and just start documenting all of those things uh, as they come up. And then as you walk through the process, just like in that one accusation, I mean, we just kind of wrote down every single meeting, every single thing that was happening, file it away in a, in a confidential place. Just if it ever comes up again, we've got that documentation of knowing here's everything that we did uh, just because you can't rely on your memory. I mean, you just cannot rely on your memory. So document everything uh, if something like this comes up. Uh, if, you know, and you, could it happen even with all of these things in place? Yes, it, it could happen even with all of these things in place. But you are showing what they call reasonable care when you have put these things in place. You have shown reasonable care in setting fences around this so that this didn't happen, and it happened anyway, okay? And so you, you are doing what you legally were required to do, morally required to do, as well as, no, we're just going to do the right thing. We're always going to do the right thing. Always going to do the right thing. It's a matter of integrity. Okay? Anybody else? This is huge. This is huge. Yep. As a pastor. Yep. I, believe, I mean, again, I'm not sure. Right. But I know we've gone through this already. Yep. Uh, in our ministry last 20 some years, we mm -hmm. really had to get this already involved. And right. We were interviewed, or I was interviewed, and, and all it went on, and, and the, the families were interviewed, and, and both families were like, why didn't you guys report this? Right. They were at jobs where, by law in that state, they were required to. Right. So we all decided after God was going to. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a great point, John. You, you need to figure out in your state, in your area, what's, what's required because there, there are required reporters and whether or not a pastor in your state is a required reporter or if someone telling you about a matter of abuse, remember mom just, just confessing like I was, when I was hitting his head on the floor, you know, I realized I had I'd gone over the line. Like, hmm, that's that is over the line, and I, I've got to I've got to say something. Like I've I've got to report that, you know. So you, you need to know those things that fall under the confidentiality of the pastor, counseling privilege, and those things that know there's a line that once you cross, you you're required to report it. And if you haven't reported it, and it comes back later that you didn't report it, that's trouble. That's trouble. Good point, John. Good. All right. Um, not setting up proper internal financial controls, okay? Uh, everybody has, knows churches that have gotten in trouble for this, right? Uh, everybody knows churches that have just gotten in trouble for embezzlement, uh, mismanagement of money, mishandling of money, or something like that. Uh, there is a line, there is a line that just, that basically says a church can spend its money any way it wants to spend its money, Okay? And the courts have just basically said, kind of said over and over, we're not going to get into the way you spend your money uh, and who you hire, you know, and, and, and how you do ministry. We're not going to get into that. We're going to get into whether or not you're handling money correctly. And one of the best things that we've, that we've done as our church along this line is, is going to a financial audit. Uh, because when we went to a financial audit, um, the first thing that, they, that that auditor did 
was not sit down and look at our balance sheet and accounts payable and all of those things. The first thing that he did was tell me how money moves through your church. Describe everybody that touches the money, has anything to do with the money, and processes the money and reports the money and signs the checks and all of that. How, you know, who counts, who deposits, who records, who reports, who signs checks. They want to know that because before they do anything else and looking at like your balance sheet, your accounts payable doesn't equal this, you know, all of that, they want to know, do you have a, a good, stable financial accounting system, internal control system that's going to do that for you? And what they're looking at there, among other things, they're looking at a division of responsibilities there so that the person who is counting the offering also is not uh, the one that's doing the reporting of the offering and not also the one who is signing, writing the checks and signing the checks. So ideally, you know, there's a person, group of people who are counting your offering, whether scanning checks in electronically, counting the cash, depositing the cash, and hopefully you have a, you know, and they're going to look all the way down to how is the, how is the money deposited? Like literally, how do you put that money into the bank? If you have, you know, $4,200 in cash, how is the money put into the, into the bank's night deposit box? You know, how do you do that? They're going to want to know those things. So the, the people who are doing that, after they do that, they're not a part of it anymore. Like they don't do anything else in that accounting system. And then so the person who is getting the report of we got $4,200 in cash and we got $24,000 in checks and we got all of this you know, online and everything, they're the ones that are doing the reports. They're writing the checks or they're making the reports. And then another, somebody else is signing the checks. And so that there, there's just a good division of responsibility so that one person is not doing all of those things. And so my home church has been burned three times over this, three times. Just not setting up adequate internal financial controls. Uh, it's a small, you think, this is just a small thing. We trust them. Dude, that, that first guy that embezzled about $180,000, man, I would have put him up against anybody. I mean, he was like, I will put him, I trust him, I mean, I love him. Our families have known each other for years. I mean, I would have put him up against anybody. And he was the one that took $180,000. So, and just starting to take some cash off, take some cash off, take some cash off the offering, take some cash off the offering, take some cash off the offering. He was the only one counting the offering. He's counting the offering by himself in a closed office door, behind a closed office door. That's just common sense, right? Don't do it by yourself. You can't do it by yourself. And you can't, I mean, you've you got to be in a secure place, obviously, but you can't, you can't do that, okay? I think that's fairly obvious. Pay appropriate property taxes. This, this might, one might sneak up on you. Does the church pay taxes? No, the church does not pay taxes, but the church might have to pay property taxes on properties that you own that you're not using for ministry purposes. If you, if you have a house that you've bought, like our, our situation was, we were on a block that you saw, and we, were, we had the intention of buying up about five or six houses around us on, the, on that block to try to expand our parking and facilities and that kind of thing. Well, I was, as fate would have it, the one that came up was way down here on the corner, 
and then we bought the one next to it, and for about 10 or 15 years, we had these two houses that we were wanting to connect to our church. It just didn't work out that way. So we just rented the houses out, and we're just renting them out, renting them out, renting them out. We paid taxes. We paid property taxes on those houses because they were not being used for ministry purposes. Just as simple as that. And so if you have... Uh, a, a large church here in Nashville had a really big bookstore in their church. I know that's not as big a deal anymore, but had a really big bookstore, and they had a gym in their church that they started opening up to outside to the community to use. And, and they got hit with a big old property tax burden that the courts came back and said, no, this is, this is not being used for property, even though they tried to say, no, this is our ministry. This is an extension of our ministry. They got hit with that property tax hundreds of thousands of dollars that they had not been paying because they didn't delineate that and, and get some clear guidance about that. So it's just, a, just one of those things when you're, when you're having properties. Uh, we had uh, somebody that donated some property to us like five miles from the church. Like, what are we going to do with this? We have, we're not, she's like, well, just, just keep it. Like, okay, we're, we're going to keep it. So we're finally getting around to selling it now, but we've been paying taxes on that all of these years for 10 or 15 years. We're paying taxes on that property because it's not being used for ministry purposes. So just that's just a little thing that can sneak up on you if you don't if you don't watch it. This is the last one. Uh, keep a clean, safe facility. Think, well, duh, this, everybody keeps a clean, safe facility. Really? Have you been in churches? Have you seen some restrooms in some churches? There, there's a there's a legal reason for it. Keeping a clean and safe Keeping a safe facility means if, if you have a crack in, in your sidewalk and you know that that crack is there and somebody falls, trips and falls over that crack, the insurance company is going to ask you, did you know about the crack? Yeah, we've been, t- yeah, we've been meaning to get that fixed. Yeah, once you know, you owe. I have a good friend who's an insurance adjuster. He introduced me to that phrase a long time ago. I mean, he would just, he would kill people over that. Because he would ask the innocent question, like, yeah, that's, that's really bad. How long you know about that? You know, just like, I've got side, side questions. How long you know about that? Yeah, we've known about that for a few years. Like, really? Okay. He's working for the insurance company. Like, and you just, you just fell into his trap. So once you know, you owe. Uh, if you know that that one entrance over there, it doesn't have to be even a frost. It doesn't have to be a snow. It doesn't have to be sleet. We just know that that one entrance over there, that's the north entrance, always gets slick, and it's got steps. Like, if you know that, then you have to salt that entrance, even on days that nothing else gets salted, because if somebody slips and falls on that, and they say, when did you know, did you know that one gets, yeah, we did know that, yeah, okay, you're in trouble then, okay? Again, that's just the legal reason, okay? That's the legal reason. The ministry reason is, um, this is not fair, okay? This is not fair. There's a lot of things in life that's not fair. That's what you tell your kids, right? This is not fair. People will not come back to your church because of your restrooms. But they will not come back to your church because of your restrooms. They're not going to come back to your church saying, why are you coming back? Oh, I just love your restrooms. <laughs> you got the best restrooms of any church I've been to. But... If you've got nasty restrooms, they may not come back to your church solely because of your nasty restrooms, right? For no other reason. I love Pastor John. 
I love his preaching most of the time. I love the kidsmen. I love everything. That is the nastiest restroom I've ever been in in my life. I don't know if it is. I've never been to your church, but that's the nastiest restroom. Because you know what you do, right? You think if you, go, if you see a nasty restroom, if they're doing this in the restroom, that's a public, what are they doing in the kids' area? What, what are they doing in other parts? I mean, what are they doing? And if you have a midweek meal and a kitchen facility, this is huge, kitchen facility, serving meals out of that kitchen facility. Again, legally required to do all the venting, all the cleaning, all of that, legally required, maybe or maybe not. It depends. We, we, had, we served midweek meals for years and years and years. Uh, we got a big commercial kitchen, and so we just we always struggled with that. It was not legally required for us to do some of those things. Should we do it, though? Yes, you should do it. You should, you should act like you're legally required to keep it as clean as a restaurant, as a restaurant kitchen, right? Because that's what we want to do, right? We want to do that. We're going to lead with integrity. We're going to do what's right just because it's right, for no other reason, just because it's right. Just because that's the way... We want our church to be, right? That's the way we want to do things. And so it's not fair. That is not fair. That somebody's going to judge us by our restrooms and come back to our church whether or not and not come back because of restrooms. Our facility manager for years, we would have this discussion. Like, that is not fair. But we really got to keep these restrooms like spick and span, like spick and span, like really, really good, really good. Nobody ever says, thank you for cleaning the restroom. You're right. You're right. Nobody walks out and says, oh, I'm so glad you keep the restroom so clean. Nobody is ever going to say that, right? Like, nobody's going to thank you for 20 hours of sermon prep this week. Nobody's going to thank you for that. It's just something you got to do. Something you got to do. All right? And two freebies. Here we go. So obey codes laws, like I was just talking about, with buildings, playgrounds, signage, and kitchens. Obey the codes laws, even if you're, the codes, since Patrick comes and says, you don't have to do this. You're not, a, you're not a commercial kitchen. No, we want to. Like, tell us what we need to do to, to make sure it's right. Signage, it's, do we need a permit for that? No, actually, it's, it's 10 by 12 needs a permit. This is a 10 by 10. We don't really need a permit by that. Like, the reputation of your church in that community when you go get a permit anyway, and then instead of work being done, and a codes inspector showing up, you know, like, hey, guys, what's going on? What you doing? Oh, we got a little renovation going on. It's not much. Really? Did you talk to City Hall about that or anything? No, it's just a small little thing. Really? Well, actually, if you're doing any electrical work, you have to get a permit to do this. Like, just knowing those type things, okay, and not trying to squeeze by and just, just barely get it done. And the last thing, just do what's right. Just do what's right. It's not always going to be cheapest. It's not always going to be easy. You're just going to do what's right because it's right. Right? 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 <laughs> right. Thank you for listening to the Reinvest Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at reinvestfwb.com. Please subscribe to the Reinvest Podcast through Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and more.